back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast podcast. I am so excited for you today to hear the guests that we have today. Um, we've had some amazing support over the last several weeks. Um, today, hopefully, will be no different. Uh, this story is going to inspire you. Um, I have Emily Abeda on today. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> She's pumped to be on, and I'm excited to have her share her story with you today. And uh, feel free to share this with anyone and everyone that you know. Um, and I'm just grateful to have another opportunity to share another amazing story of overcoming. And uh, Emily is no different. So thank you and welcome to... Uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. So um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, a little background, like where you grew up, that kind of thing. Okay, so I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, or Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> and uh, yeah. grew up in a, in a strict, you know, Christian, conservative um, sort of environment. Um, uh-huh. And um, didn't have a whole lot of friends growing up. I have two sisters and a brother that are all younger than I am. Oh, you're the oldest, huh? I am. Nice. And I was a very angry child. Um, yeah, what, where did that come from, do you think? Well, I had had, when I was four years old, um, until I was almost eight years old, I was molested and raped by two neighbors on a pretty regular basis. Wow. Um, and that um, created a lot of um, cognitive dissonance in, yeah. in my head, um, because I was being taught, you know, the things of the church and, you know, very, very strict parents who, if they saw, for instance, you know, a couple kissing on TV would, you know, say something, you know, demeaning or, oh, um, right. turn the, yeah, turn the station, you're going to hell or something. So, yeah. so I couldn't create a world that made sense for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the the belief that so it's st- well, well it's real quick before we get to that did, so it started when you were four mm-hmm. and how long did it go on for I was almost eight when almost I moved eight, away okay. did your family at the time know did you tell anyone or was I told it kinda... them when I was fourteen okay so you kind of held on to that for yeah. a, a long time so as you know I mean as you know too and for you listeners anger is always a secondary emotion mm-hmm. so you said you're a very angry angry child. The two emotions that come before anger are fear and hurt. Afraid. Yeah. So I can only imagine being that young, going through that, how scared you would have been as a child, you know, and how much, you know, how much hurt that would cause as well. So no wonder you were angry. Mm -hmm. So how did that anger manifest? Were you just, did you yell a lot? Did you, I mean, what? I isolated. Okay. Um, I got into reading at a pretty young age. I just kind of kept to myself, and that was a, a good thing to do. Um, I I internalized a lot, mm-hmm. so I think there was there was a lot of bitterness, um, you know, that, that came out. Not really a lot of yelling or arguing, but um, I had a, a sense of inferiority. Okay. Um, yeah. I felt like everyone was lying to me. And I was scared that, you know, if my parents found out that I wouldn't have parents anymore, you know, they'd yeah. give me away or something. I mean, my mind couldn't, couldn't put it all together. So then that negative um, stream of self-talk that was created, sure. um, even when I was old enough to logically, you know, see what had happened mm-hmm. um, and how yeah. it had affected me, um, 
that negative self-talk took a lot of time to undo. Oh, I can, remember. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, and we'll get to that in a minute for sure. Um, so this goes on for, you know, four years or so. Um, was this still, you still living in Missouri at mm-hmm. this time? How how long were you in Missouri? Was is that where you grew up? Yeah, I was in okay. I was in Missouri till partway through college. So. Oh, okay. Um, did you you know go? Let's go back to maybe like junior high, high school. How 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 did that go for you? Um, did you have a lot of friends at that time, or were you still isolating? I had friends. I had the um, you know back in my day it was gothic, not emo, but I had the more. Um, uh, I guess, isolated group of friends, right, that were very, not really exclusive, but um, didn't socialize with the popular crowds, you know, um, I, a lot of them were you know, depressed, angry, like mm-hmm. me, um, right. kind of fed on each other <laughs> with sure. that, yeah. um, so I, I did continue to suffer from depression, I was um, at 14 when I did, you know, tell my parents what happened. I mm-hmm. had been placed in, I'd run away from home and I had been placed in a um, place that kind of is like um, like youth care where I work now, you know, yeah. residential, just to try and get me, right. you know. How did your parents react when you told them um, at 14? Well, I was, I was at a treatment center in Texas and um, it was a conference call. We didn't have Skype. Um, at that time and my mom said I knew it and I remember thinking 10 years <laughs> I've been holding on to this and you knew it um, mm. I I don't think the anger went away at that point sure. I, oh, think, yeah. um, I didn't feel like there was a lot of resolution there I yeah. think that maybe it's at least it made some more sense they weren't like my god what is wrong with you yeah <laughs> sure well, when your mom says, I knew it, was it more as she had kind of like her she intuition was telling her something was mm-hmm. wrong? Yeah. 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 And, and I hear this a lot because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time where, you know, parents kind of have this, you know, this, you know, feeling that something's off or something might be wrong there, but they're almost so afraid of what the, you know, you know they don't want it to be true. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So they get to the point where they don't ask. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like, really? That kind of sounds backwards, but that's what typically happens. Well, I shouldn't say typically. It does happen where parents get so afraid to even ask the question because mm-hmm. they don't want to know. They don't want to hear the answer because they're afraid, mm-hmm. you know. So for her to say that, I get I get it on some level. But for you as a kid, mm-hmm. that had to have been very, very difficult to go, man, you knew. And, mm-hmm. Or you at least thought something was Suspected. off. Suspected, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if she had had some proof, I'm sure that, you know, yeah. there would have been... Yeah. You know, something, you know, she would have said something. Sure, her. sure. How long were you in this uh, this kids' facility? I don't remember. Probably a couple months. Just a couple yeah. months? Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you? Do you remember? I was 14. Oh, right at 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so, jump ahead just a little bit. You get to high school, right? How was your high school years and how did that go? Um, pretty good. I mean, I've, I found creative outlets. You know, I began writing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I participated in theater um backstage front stage um mm-hmm. i i did have you know friends maybe not the most positive thinking <laughs> types of friends but right. i had friends i still struggled with depression um i still struggled with um that internalizing i never really learned 
to undo that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't actually know that I could unlearn to do, <laughs> right. unlearn those things. Yeah, you just thought this is just the way it is. This yeah. is how I feel, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I obviously I know your background, but uh, I know that you you had a you know you got into an an addiction and stuff like that. When did that kind of start? Like the well, in high school, I started you know you know partying. Um, smoking weed, drinking, things like that, um, with friends. Um, and then nothing really much more serious than that till college. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it spiraled down pretty quick. I got into cocaine, um, and some other, you know, hard drugs here and there. Um, still continue with the weed and alcohol, you know, it's college. Um, and I went to, gosh, probably every short term, um, you know, acute hospitalization type setting, Mm -hmm. um, throughout, you know, my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was in and out of hospitals trying to, you know, get over, um, because I was injecting, um, the cocaine. Mm -hmm. Um, I was towards the end of my junior year and had, had a pile of incompletes and, um, and I was, I mean, freshman year, first semester, I was a dean's list student. Um, and I still stayed in the very competitive classes where you have to like pretty much like re-audition yeah. your work just to be accepted in. They maybe let five students per class. Um, I was still making it into those classes, but then once I was in, my work was falling. I was missing um, class. I was um, just not able to keep up with the addiction and the schoolwork. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Eventually catches up. Yeah. So they sent me to Florida. Um, to do a residential treatment and um, it took my motivation was my dad spent a lot of money on this yeah, right. <laughs> and and I shouldn't you know do that to him again um, I lived in Florida for a while I actually became engaged to someone in Florida who was also a former heroin addict and mm-hmm. trying to stay clean he could not stay clean I instead of exposing myself to that left where the place we where we had been living together and about a month and a half later he overdosed and passed passed away and um shortly after that i was back home um at this point my family had moved to utah well were you you clean at the time when you're living with this guy and i was yeah you so you're clean and you left because you knew he was doing drugs Mm -hmm. and then after a after you left, you hear this news. How did you handle that? I was in shock. Yeah. I don't know that I, I mean, I think I gradually grieved. Um, mm-hmm. I was more, I didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that he owed people money. It didn't look like it was, you know, maybe it was accidental. Maybe it was not. Right. They weren't sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was pretty scared. Um, yeah. I needed to get out of there. Sure. So you came back to Missouri after that, right? I actually, my family, while I had been in Florida, had moved to Utah. So oh, I came okay. <laughs> so you came back to Utah. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, now we're getting... So um, you hear the news, this and that, but you're still clean. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you've been clean for a few months now, I'm assuming? Um, I had been, it, was, it had been close to a year. Oh, wow, point. okay. Mm-hmm. So a whole year. Yeah. Okay, so talk about that year and then what led up to maybe relapsing and... yeah so I came back um, from um, from Florida and got into NA meetings and AA meetings found mm-hmm. myself a job I got re-enrolled to finish up school here at the University of Utah um, 
and you know had some pretty strong you know friends and connections in that community um, and after about two years my father makes wine and we were at a picnic or something one day and he said something like you know and you're just doing so good I don't see why you know you, you couldn't have a glass of wine you know, just like, just like a normie, right? <laughs> um, and I, I thought about it, guarded, you know, and really checked myself. But, uh-huh. um, but eventually I did. I started just drinking occasionally. And for some miracle reason, it, it did work. I had a very um, busy life. I had a lot of uh, creative things I was involved in. Right. I was, I had a magazine um, here locally oh, called really? Listen Magazine fine arts and politics. Um, I had great friends. I had a boyfriend. I, you know, I was okay. I didn't need something to numb myself. (laughs) Um, and then eventually I got married and, um, and that relationship was full of red flags that I choose to ignore Mm -hmm. because I didn't believe that there was something better for me out there. And I didn't want to be alone. Um, and I wanted to have children. So, um, so I was very unhappy and the more unhappy I was and the less I was able to make anything better at home, the more I would drink. And I had, I had the go ahead, right? I had thumbs up from dad who paid for rehab. So I was okay. And it wasn't overnight. Um, but it's very gradual. Um, I was teaching dance, um, mostly in the afternoons when my second son was born. And honestly, mm-hmm. if, it, if it were not for the two pregnancies that I had, I probably would have hit bottom a lot sooner. Right, right. Um, sure. But I did, you know, I would stop drinking when I found out I was pregnant and then I nursed. And um, so that slowed it down. But when I was teaching preschool, um, I'm sorry, when I was teaching dance, I would find myself having a few before I go to work, because it was afternoon, you know, it was mm-hmm. a long ways, long time to wait for a drink. Right. Um, and then when my kids were both in preschool, and they were both starting, and Robbie, my youngest, started at, like, the early preschool, like, young threes, mm-hmm. you know, or um, that age group. Um, then I started teaching preschool, and eventually, probably after about a year of teaching preschool, I found myself waking up at night to have a drink, I found myself um, having a beer before I go into work. The high octane beers, the ones you can mm-hmm. get at only at the liquor store and uh, oh, yeah. the grocery store, um, and you know even sneaking out, you know at lunchtime. I lived really close to the school, so I'd run home and you know um, have another so now drink. You're, now you're starting to feel that dependency on it. For sure, yeah. and and it wasn't to get drunk. It was so I wasn't shaking, so I wasn't mm-hmm. agitated, so yeah. I could stay calm. Um, does and, does it does anyone know at this point that it's getting out of hand other than yourself? I mean, does people are people noticing? No one has confronted me. Okay. But I can tell it's not going to be long. It's right. hard to hide the smell of right. you know constant being constantly drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband didn't say anything because we just weren't even that connected. Right, I, right. I didn't think that he would have been one of the people to notice, you know, I think a boss or something would have noticed yeah. sooner than that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we did separate. And when that happened, I moved out of the house we had been living in and found a much cheaper and much bigger 
house with a fenced-in yard in Glendale area, which here is the hood. And I come from the Midwest, so people would be like, Emmy, that's the hood. You don't want to move to that mm-hmm. area. And I'd mm-hmm. say, hey, guys, there is no hood in Utah. <laughs> you don't even know what a hood is. <laughs> if you've ever driven down a street scared to unlock your doors or have your windows cracked, right. that's the hood. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> Turns out I was wrong. It was a hood. Um, yeah. And I um, became very popular because I had two bedrooms to spare. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I was a fairly young lady living alone, right. two uh-huh. kids outside a lot because we had this great fenced in yard and um, became the girlfriend to a man who is now in prison um, for another couple of years um, who was a big time supplier for a lot of people right. had you know people doing his small jobs for him and always had big deals I didn't ask any questions and um, at first I didn't indulge um, I began teach or I began dancing at a nightclub here in Utah and so I was working early mornings teaching and very late nights um, and why did you why did you take a job dancing? What was that just for some extra money or was that, that was that was so that I didn't have to rely on my parents' money. Okay. I didn't have to cross my fingers that my ex was going to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, I could so I could do so, it, okay. and it was easy money, and it was right. three hour shifts, so I could put my kids to bed, go to work, come home, and get a few hours of sleep, and still get to work the next day. So when you say dancing, what kind of dancing are we I talking about? I was stripping. About? Stripping. At okay. a gentleman's club here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want the listeners to know. I mean, sure. this is kind of your, <laughs> this is your background. Nothing to be ashamed of, but uh, but at the time, that's what you were thinking in your head. Hey. I, I'll do whatever I need to do to provide. This is easy money, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to make sure I'm on my own kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, so I was. I had been, of course, it's a club, you know, and um, there were definitely drugs there, and I had been approached by customers or even by fellow dancers, um, you know, mm. do you party? And I'd always say, no, I'm a mom. I used to party. I don't party anymore. Um, but eventually I kind of started running out of steam and mm-hmm. getting some mess. It didn't seem like a terrible idea to, so I could keep going and making the money that I was making and mm-hmm. not having to rely on, you know, anybody. I mean, the, the guy that I was dating sort of, um, had offered to help financially and even did help financially sometimes, but I wanted to have that peace of mind that I could do it right. myself. But as soon as I had the drugs in my hand, even before I think that they were in my system, I knew this was a mistake, mm-hmm. that this was not going to go away go easily. Well. Yeah, right. Um, and I still made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Pause, hesitation, Yeah. still did it. Um, right. It only took about three months um, before I ended up here at Wasatch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's just jump back. I just, mm-hmm. You said something really interesting, and I want the listeners to catch this because... I, I was just on a talk show last week and talked about the power of choice in recovery. Mm-hmm. And like you just said it, and I love what you just said, because I think this is really what goes on. You knew you had it in your hand or whatever. You knew I shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Like you knew it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's in our moment where we can choose one way or the other. And you made that decision to like, I'm, I'm going to do this. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I just... I find it fascinating, not just with you or, and, and you know, I look back at my own troubles and my own time going through that is 
I knew every time, even when I was in my darkest moments, I knew this was not right. Mm-hmm. Like I, like mm-hmm. I shouldn't do this kind of thing. So yeah. anyway, that was interesting. Just yeah. wanted to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that in, at the core of every person is someone who wants to be good, to yes. to um, yeah. have hope, to mm-hmm. um, you know, we 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 have this instinct and listen to your gut because it's almost always yeah. looking out for you. For sure. Um, and and so I I think that even in our worst behaviors, there if you're listening to yeah. to your authentic self underneath all that, yeah. um, you are this person that wants to be good wants to change um right so it i graduated from meth to doing some meth and also some heroin i lied to myself and said as long as i'm not getting sick i'm not addicted to the heroin and then i started getting sick and i said as long as i am not shooting it and then i started shooting it and um that that was really scary for me i um made plans to go back home to st louis to visit a good friend and dry out for right. a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. a week or however long I could get. The plans couldn't be made soon enough. It was actually right, right. Um, later on. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, and so it got to about August. Um, somewhere in there um, was the first time that my boyfriend was arrested. I bailed him out of jail. Um, I was the only one with a job who could do it, and we needed him. Yeah. Um, felt that we, you know, needed that hookup. I never yeah. once went to the block um, during right. my addiction. I it was brought to me. Yeah. Um, there were some real scary moments when he was gone because there's jailhouse rules, and he had, you know, predecessors, uh, you know, mm-hmm. people he was kind of grooming for you know, if something should happen, you know, to kind of take things over. And they did not have the same respect for my space, my kids being around. Um, There were guns in my house sometimes. uh, Mm. And there were, towards the end, nights where I would have my kids and I wouldn't go home. I'd go to my parents' house with them and say, look, I know it's weird, but um, we need to stay here. Right. um, When I did eventually in August go home to St. Louis. Um, I did dry out for a week. It was miserable. I had a few beers. We went to a ball game and I had a few beers. Um, Mm -hmm. It was miserable. Um, I didn't have any of the detox drugs that they give you. I was, you know, too ashamed. I did even, you know, call my parents and apologize because they knew something was going on. They didn't know a lot of details. but, um, But when I came back, you know, it didn't take long for me. Um, So how long were you clean? Just a little over a week. I mean, I came back and oh, it probably okay. took like three or four days before I folded. It yeah. just, it was too, I wasn't, I wasn't detoxed yet. Yeah, you're you know? probably still sick and yeah. still withdrawing. And, feel like, and the anxiety, oh. the anxiety was mm-hmm. the worst. I just I couldn't yeah. feel that way anymore. Um, and so I, I had told my friend though, back home, I had said, look, call me and don't just don't, you know, be, hey, how are things? Oh, things are good. Oh, Okay. Ask me directly, and I won't lie to you. <laughs> but you have to be direct, or I will try and get out of admitting it. You know, if I do it, because I had a feeling I was going to slip. Right. Um. And so when he called and he asked, "Had I had I done it?" I said, "Yeah." And um, not very much long later, he found my mom on Facebook, and she found this place and found Wasatch Recovery, found Wasatch. where we're sitting right now, <laughs> folks. 
Well, um, and I want to get into the Wasatch thing here for a minute. And that's when I first met Emily, and that was how long ago? Um, three years in September. Jeez, it's been three years? <laughs> Holy cow. Seriously, Emily's just doing amazing right now, and it's just, ah, what a what a story. Um, so let's go back a little bit. I want to talk about, you know, some of these beliefs you had as a child. Mm-hmm. Like these limiting beliefs, these negative beliefs that you had about yourself. Obviously, you've been through so much. What happened to you at four and mm-hmm. all that. What were some of the beliefs that you had that were, would hold you back in life that caused you to be miserable? That I wasn't the same as everyone. Mm. That I was um, inferior. Um, I remember there was a sort of bully. That's a really strong word, but kind of bully when I was in third grade who mm. was in fifth grade. And I remember... She was teasing me one day for you know, sitting off to the side, reading a book at recess. And then she said something like, there's something really wrong with you. And of course, I tried to defend myself to this fifth grader. And I said, um, well, God made me. And it was a private Christian school, right. of course. I said, God made me and God doesn't make mistakes. And she goes, well, God made a mistake on you. And that was something that resonated. And this may be something this young lady didn't even remember saying that afternoon but it stuck right. in my head yeah. um and yeah i just how old were you when that happened i was in third grade third grade yeah yeah isn't that amazing like a comment like that could, <laughs> you could hold on for a well, long time it resonated time. so much with what i already felt yeah yeah it was already there that it was like oh my gosh they can see it too <laughs> you know yeah i mean and so this happened fourth grade or third grade. Mm-hmm. Let's see, how old are you in third grade? Do you know? See, my son's six, <laughs> like nine. Nine, yeah. yeah. So you had already been going through what you'd gone through starting at four. Mm-hmm. And then you hear this, and then it's like, it was almost like a confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yep, I knew it. Yep, yeah. Yep, I like knew I was son. different. And I, I also had this crazy belief, and I don't even know if this is going to make sense to the listeners, but that... That I was kind of like, and this is before the Truman Show, but I was kind of like the Truman Show. Um, that everyone was lying to me. Like, if I went to a visit in Cincinnati, people were being warned, right? And so my concept of reality, as a very young child, mm-hmm. I thought, maybe white mm. isn't white, maybe it's black. And they're just telling me that it's white. And I right. got this, you know, they're playing a trick on me kind of um, mentality. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I had conjured that for myself um (laughs) but that's really how I felt was just that I was like singled out wow so what you know we we all know that well we should know belief dictates the way we behave yeah so you have these beliefs right um Mm -hmm. that you're different you know something might be wrong with you you're not the same everyone's maybe being fake to you and it's just kind of like here comes Emily. We uh, we got to act the certain way, whatever. Mm-hmm. What were you? Obviously, your behaviors led to you know using and abusing drugs and alcohol and things like that. But some other behaviors you had mentioned that you isolated a lot. I was very guarded. Yeah. Um, if someone would try to be nice to me, I couldn't believe that they actually wanted to be nice to me. Right. I, I couldn't. I can accept kindness. Yeah. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Yeah. And so I'm sure that that came across and continued to come across as sure. me just being you know very angry and bitter and mean mm-hmm. um but really I felt like you know what what's what are you up to what is your angle um if right. you're trying to be nice to me you obviously want something you know right yeah um, well I, which makes a lot of sense based on what you've been through 
you know, and, and you know, jumping ahead here back to where we we met in Wasatch, you know, I was one of our counselors here. You know, you were very angry when when I first met you. <laughs> Man, I wish we had video of it. <laughs> like seriously, for like how many days were you here? You were here. I was here for like 121 days. Yeah, I remember like for the first almost 90 yeah. seemed like mm -hmm. you were resistant you were fighting and, and and correct me if i'm wrong i remember like there was people here at wasatch were even bullying you some of the other residents that is a true. little bit that is true yeah yeah um but you know and i'll be honest with you our perception of maybe your success based on what was going on i thought wow this girl ain't gonna make it mm -hmm. just based on how angry you were and you were so resistant to some of the stuff. Now you and I were working on some really cool things mm -hmm. and you were starting to grasp it. You were kind of, you know, it's different than your AA experience. I was telling you, no, you're not broken. Mm -hmm. You're not powerless. You know, you don't have a disease, that kind of stuff. And it was new, new information to you, yeah. but you really took a hold. I mean, I remember, man, you, it goes back to, you know, how, you know, you were on the Dean's list and you were very smart and you read a lot. That's my perception of you when I first met you. Like, man, this girl is very smart. Mm -hmm. Like, you picked up things quickly. Mm -hmm. You analyzed them quickly. You know, very intellectual at that time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. And to go back to, you know, kind of being bullied and having, you know, such a struggle when I first got here. Um, I'm actually, in hindsight, very grateful mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Um, because... You, a lot of what you teach here is you're okay. Um, you know, mm -hmm. not you're okay if this happens or when this happens or when everybody likes me or when I'm mm -hmm. the most popular or someone wants to sit by me at lunch. It's I'm okay always. And I had no choice while I was learning all the things I learned here but to teach myself how to soothe myself and mm -hmm. that I am okay in my own company and I don't uh -huh. have to seek yeah. someone else's validation and and it was a hard lesson but I don't think you know I think that you know residents that come in here and they they have their friends that they hang out with every day or go you know sit at mm -hmm. lunch with or do another <laughs> right. thing um they don't get that advantage of of that aloneness that chaos that comes with trying to make changes um, and facing all of that and having to regulate your own emotions at the same time. And as you know, I didn't do a very good job at regulating my emotions, <laughs> but I was able to learn that. Yeah. And very cool. And I don't, if I had somebody to go, oh, it's okay all the time, I don't know that I would have learned it in, to the extent that I have. Well, I love that, Emily, because that's, that's really what we hope happens to everyone that comes through here is, you know, you, you get processed really hard. Yeah, you have peers around you while you're here, mm -hmm. but we want you to learn to be okay being alone. Mm -hmm. That sounds kind of weird, maybe to the outside world, but for you, how empowering was that? Very much so. Yeah. It was exactly what I needed to have, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, there is so much in community and in, in giving to each other and being supportive for each other, which, you know, I've continued to do for friends um, who I was in the house with even to this day. Um, mm. But to be able to be okay, no matter what the situation, right. um, was an awesome, awesome lesson. I love that. I have a, let's see if I can find it here quickly, <laughs> um, this paper 
called Standing Alone. And if I can't, oh, there it is. I just want to read something from it. It's from James Allen. He's one of my heroes. But it just reminded me when you said what you just said. And, and this describes you perfectly. He goes on to, he says, um, a man or woman does not begin to truly live until he or she finds an immovable center within themselves on which to stand, by which to regulate their lives, and from which to draw their peace. And to me, you just said it, you found your immovable center. And I love what you said. You said, if you could go back, you just say, thank you. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you went through all of that. And right? it was hard. It was, yeah. it was horrible. I, oh, I, mean, yeah, you were... <laughs> I wanted to run out of here screaming so many times and just not care if yeah. I, if I lived or died, but yeah. I do have two small children. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to read one more thing. It's, he says in here, if a man or woman can find no peace within themselves, sorry, if a man or woman can find no peace within themselves, where shall they find it? If they dread to be alone with themselves, what steadfastness shall they find in company? Yeah. You know, and I think most people who come here, including yourself, we don't like being alone. We dread being with ourselves. We dread it because we have a belief that you're different. No one really likes you. People are pretending, you know, kind of kind of those same beliefs you, you gravitated and held on to since, you know, third grade. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. that fascinating? It is fascinating. Fascinating to me. But you found that immovable center. You realized that you were okay. And I'll never forget, you know, Emily, you when you made that shift here. Like, everyone <clears throat> saw it. It was like, you know, listeners, I wish you could, you know, maybe you could... Pre- see this in your in your mind right now i mean she was angry bitter i mean not that she wasn't trying to work hard but she just all that hurt was coming out all of it and then all of a sudden you know this shift and all of a sudden you walked around and it was almost as if this weight was off your shoulders and i don't know what day it was but it was towards the end of your stay here You'd it been, was, you were here a long time i was here four months and it was <laughs> it was towards the it was in the in that third month somewhere, mm-hmm. and I can't maybe remember the exact moment because I remember feeling, um, like some excitement for my future and some meaning, um, yeah. and really kind of delving into who who am I authentically, what what makes me who I am, who am I inside? Because, yeah. um, honestly, I always thought that I had the kindness that people can see in me today. Right. I just there were so many layers of anger on the outside of it that no sure. no one could see that through yeah. all of that. Um, but I was in um, a group one day, and one of the counselors here, um, I had been having violent nightmares, um, PTSD nightmares. Mm-hmm. Didn't really dream a lot when I was using. Um, and yeah. also covered up any emotions sure. um, with the using during the day. So I was having these dreams. I was waking up covered in sweat I wouldn't go back to sleep so mm-hmm. I was fatigued I was sleeping you know four hours a night if I was lucky um and I would wake up so angry and I just told in the group I shared that I am so angry and I just don't know what to do with it mm-hmm. and I was told you need to pray for those people who hurt mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and I remember feeling really angry <laughs> that yeah. they get prayer right? Right, right who's praying for me right mm-hmm. um but I did it because I needed this to work. Right. Yeah. My kids needed this to work. Yeah. And um, 
and the crazy thing is it helped me i didn't have to i didn't have to be resentful anymore yeah i didn't have to carry that anger around with me i could just say goodbye yeah, to it that's awesome um yeah, yeah and then when i you know got out of wasatch i did a month in um day treatment and first weekend in day treatment i went to the buddhist temple where i still attend and i'm a sangha member nice and um one of the first things that they did with us is told us to pray for those who've harmed you yeah yeah, right in line. And it was like the universe was sending me signals. You know, everybody <laughs> was saying the exact same thing to me yeah. in different ways. Right. Right? The AA folks, the therapists, mm-hmm. you. Right. It was all the same message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about some of the beliefs you have now about you and the world that empower you. Let's <clears> talk <throat> about some of those. <laughs> I think the top one, if I can focus my eyes. My positive beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that I can set my own limits. Okay. Um, that I am powerful beyond measure. Yeah. Masterful creator. I have the dignity to choose. Um, and I accept the world mm-hmm. for what it is. Yeah. I um, know that there are things that I can change and there are things that I. Right will waste my energy feeling negatively about <clears throat> but um yeah. but i think when you change your perception you know it's like in the book you had me read the very first one you had me read was the victor frankel man's search for meaning and if you can be in a nazi death camp and find joy <laughs> somehow yeah. and find meaning somehow um it doesn't matter how dark things get. You can find that beauty if you choose to yeah. look with the right perception. For sure. Um, and my, I think my biggest drive, my meaning, is compassion. Yeah, that's very cool. And, and those who know you would say that about you now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you said some of those core principles that you and I talked about. <laughs> you know, powerful beyond measure, masterful creator, that's dignity true. to choose. You know, it's interesting when those were brought to my awareness, those three principles was, you know, I remember it was early on in my recovery and, uh, it's interesting is just, it has just been like kind of the foundational principles that I have taught mm-hmm. forever. And you just grabbed, you grabbed a hold of those and have ran with it. Like you really are powerful. <laughs> like, you know, um, you, you know, when you get, it's one thing to get clean, that's really actually pretty easy. It's about changing all the other stuff in your life and the behaviors. Talk about that for a minute. Like, I mean, not only did you have to change yourself, but there was a lot of stuff going on in your life. You had kids. Mm. You had really, you had to rebuild a life, yeah. basically. Talk yeah. about that for just a minute. I had to, re, I had to redirect my yeah. life. I had to make my actions reflect my intentions, you know, mm-hmm. every day. So if I woke up and I said, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm not going to let any person or situation change my mind about, you know, staying sober, um, or about what, what my purpose is to be compassionate. Um, yeah. then, then my behaviors needed to reflect that. I wasn't, um, obviously I wasn't in the same circle of friends. I think the most powerful thing that I had to do when I left Wasatch was I was concerned, you know, my kids were 
fairly guarded from a lot of what had gone on because they have split custody. Right. Um, and and the first boyfriend was very respectful of my kids, um, mm-hmm. you know, and my sort of house rules when my kids were there. Um, but certainly it got dicey towards the end, and right. I, I was concerned that, you know, I mean, I was, I was out of it. I, I might not have noticed if something had happened to them that was scary or traumatizing or, or that right. they were confused about. Yeah. So I had, when I first separated, had gotten my kids into the children's center to a therapist just because I knew the transition would be difficult, the adjustment would be difficult for them. Um, And so I went back to that therapist and met with her alone and told her my whole shameful story and what I remember, what my concerns Mm -hmm. were and what I wanted to make sure that my kids were okay, you know, what I wanted her to do, you know, for the kids. Right. And I remember going... Yeah, that week, I knew that the appointment was coming. I'd set it up, you know, a while back. And, and it, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be, I'm going to feel so ashamed, embarrassed. And I remember walking out after that appointment just thinking, I feel great. Because I can't change what I did already. Right. But I can do the next right thing. Nice. And doing the right thing isn't always doing the easy thing. But you do it because it's the right thing. Wow. Love that. Yeah. It's not always easy, but uh, that's definitely what you're doing uh, now. Um, tell, why don't you let the listeners know, like, what are you doing now with your life and where you're working and, you know, kind of talk about that for a minute. Well, to go forward and you go back just a little bit, I, sure. as I was experiencing these changes here and things were really starting to click, I remember looking around that process room and thinking, I want to do what these people do. Mm-hmm. Coming to meet with you and thinking, I want to do what Todd mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got out, I um, started looking for grad school programs. Um, I have a double major undergraduate, um, so to get into a program in good grades, so I knew I could get into one pretty right. easily. Right. Um, and now I am almost a therapist. I am working at youth care with 11 to 17 year old kids. Um, some of them have substance abuse, um, mental health, um, you know, learning issues, um, just different sorts of things. Um, and it is heartbreaking and incredibly rewarding at the same time. I'm able to teach them mindfulness and emotion regulation and, Things that I wish they would have taught when I was a kid. And sure, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Right on. How long have you been there now? I started in November. Right on. Of last year, and I will be finished with my internship there in. I'll be I'll be graduated in late March, but I'll probably finish the internship a little bit sooner than that. Amazing. Yeah. Like amazing. <laughs> and I remember you even telling me that when you were here, like I, this is what I want to do, and. And it's interesting, a lot of people say this, I and I'm going to give you some props here, because I hear this all the time. I want to do what you do, Todd. I want to do, I want a life coach. I want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy even to help you, whatever. But most people don't follow through. Like, seriously, 9 out of 10 people do not follow through. You did. And here you are. You're almost getting to the point where you're going to graduate mm-hmm. and be a therapist. Mm-hmm. Something you said you wanted. And, and that's what I love about you. You have this drive that you you know, when you... When you put your mind to it, you get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it worked against you when it was with the drugs and the alcohol sure. and the dancing and whatever mm-hmm. else. It was like, I'm all in, mm-hmm. you know, but shifting that energy in the direction you are now, you know, Well, it's what amazing. prevents me from that sort of mistake again is that now I've, I've learned to, to check my motives and to mm-hmm. adhere to certain values and um, 
you know, the wrong choices, um, doing drugs, mm-hmm. letting people into my house that aren't safe, um, maybe having a job where I'm not safe, um, right. are choices that don't reflect those values. They are not, they are not a reflection of my, <laughs> of who right. I really am. No, I know. And I think that anxiety, yeah. going back to, you know, withdrawals and everything, anxiety is probably one of the worst feelings. And there's a lot of places where anxiety comes from, but I think one of the top ones on the list is when your behavior is not congruent with who you really are, who you know mm-hmm. that you are. Right. But this is not me. This is not what I yeah. stand for. It's not what I want people to see. Yeah. Um, wow. That's awesome. I have a question for you. If if you if you could give some advice to some young girls that might be listening or, mm-hmm. you know, that need to hear this message, you know, what advice could you give some younger girls, you know, you know, at the ages of, you know, junior high age or whatever, you know, if you could give them some advice right now, what would you tell them? Love yourself, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, discover who you are. Right. What makes you special because you are. Um, and then believe it. Um, when you limit your beliefs, when you let doubt and fear influence what you are willing to believe and you limit the blessings that the universe can provide for you yeah. um, you limit what you're asking for um, so believe that you are great yeah. believe that you are beautiful believe that you can have an impact on this world and believe that you are loved I love that I love that. Um, that's great advice, and uh, that's truly you now. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And it's maybe, maybe you didn't get to experience a lot of that growing up, but you know, I would imagine if you wouldn't change a thing. Is that fair to say? I think that because of what I have learned, I can look at a child at my work who is suffering and say, "I really know mm-hmm. how you're feeling." Right. I'm not just some lady who studied a bunch about feelings and now I know I could say I read this in a book somewhere. I I have been there. I have wanted to, you know, cut my arms up and and attempt suicide. I I know these emotions very Mm -hmm. deeply and um and it, it it's heartbreaking because if that's how you're feeling, ultimately you're the only one who can mm-hmm. change that? Yeah. Um, people can encourage you. People can tell you good things about yourself, but that that validation will stay um, only until um, until you need it again, right? Yeah. It's temporary. If you can find that inner strength, if you can find that joy that's inside you, it's nowhere else. Um, then it's there for forever whether someone said good morning or not whether someone told you that you were smart or not or beautiful Mm -hmm. or not or whether or not you passed that exam um you have you have that immovable center yeah wow (laughs) love it beautiful beautifully said seriously that was amazing um so if if people wanted to reach out to you i mean if you're comfortable with what would be a way that they could reach out to you if they have a daughter that might be struggling or just Maybe they have a question for you. Is there a way they can yeah, reach they out can to you? Yeah, they can shoot me an email. Okay. 
Um, until the internship is over, at least my I have two emails, but one's um, Emily at youthcare.com. Um, abeta is a b e y t a, um, and I can yeah, give great. phone number or no, uh, that's email. we'll just do right. emails do probably the now. best. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, if you have a question for Emily or you want to give her some encouragement or whatever, or tell her thanks for this amazing. Uh, sharing of her story that uh, please reach out to her via email uh, we'll be posting this up later on today um, via iTunes and Podbean um, and uh, so I'm just grateful that uh, everyone gets to hear this story it's it's amazing thank you and it's amazing I, I just wish people I mean because I see I've seen when you when I first met you to now it's mm-hmm. just in my mind blows my mind it's just <laughs> it's remarkable how far you have come you can truly tell you love yourself by the way you carry yourself, you know, and what you're doing in life. And, you know, we've we've met periodically and you've had some ups and downs, but you've fought through those mm-hmm. and just you just keep moving forward. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, life doesn't doesn't necessarily change. Life circumstances <laughs> that are difficult don't mm-hmm. change, but when you can love yourself, when you can mm-hmm. turn away those negative beliefs that you had before, um, somehow it it's doable, yeah. and and you can still be okay, and it can be yeah. it can be a hard situation, and you're still you've still got your happiness. You're still holding on yeah. to that. Yeah, you're still okay, yeah. even though this might be a difficult situation. Yeah, yeah, it's just part of life. Well, Emily, I want to thank you for being on uh, my podcast today, thank you, the Belief Cast, <laughs> and uh, I was excited that you agreed to be on it because I knew this story was amazing. Um, I know we even we just barely scratched the surface. We'll have you on again for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I want to thank you. You're an inspiration, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of your a small part of your journey, in in where you're at today. It's it's just so fun to watch, and I'm very grateful for thank it. You correction an enormous part of my journey, Todd. <laughs> thank you. No, you're am- you. you bet you're amazing, and I love you, and uh, I'm just proud of how well you're doing. It's just fun to watch. Thanks. Okay, well, thanks, listeners. Please share this with your family and friends, uh, anyone that you might be struggling, especially if you have uh, a daughter who uh, might be struggling, please uh, share this with them. Um, This will inspire her to uh, love themselves and to be better and to know that they're okay. So thank you so much. And this will be up a little later today. And uh, again, so grateful for all your support. Have an amazing day. (laughs) 